Hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me on the Hope for Today broadcast. I'm your host, Doran Wengard, founder of Wengard Ministries, where we are delivering hope to every heart. Again, if you've been impacted by these messages and you'd like to partner with us, please text the word GIVE to 844-333-7227. Also, if you want to sow financial seed into our new organization called Flights for Hope, please go to flightsforhope.org. Now, in my last broadcast, I talked about the Good Shepherd and how wonderful it is to know him. This was immediately after emphasizing how essential it is that we refuse fear. So if you missed those couple messages, I'd like to encourage you to go back and listen to them. They are foundational to this as well. But then I got to thinking, what if people don't truly know how to refuse fear? What if fear is so normal to them that they don't know how to get out of it? I began pressing in to find the answer to this massive spread of fear that really has had the world on lockdown. And I know that God has called me to give hope to the hopeless, but what has seemed hopeful for me has not always inspired the same in others. So I was talking with the Lord the other day about this, and I just simply asked the question. I said, well, Father, what's the answer? (laughs) And he began flooding my heart with thoughts and pictures of people in crisis that are being ministered to. I pictured Mother Teresa, you know, holding a sick baby or reaching out and touching someone with with sores on their face. I thought of doctors and nurses who are willing to tend to the sick and the dying, really all while putting themselves at risk as well. I thought of all the people going to Kentucky just recently to help rebuild from the devastation of tornadoes. And I began to think of Jesus and how people with major needs were attracted to him. So why did they come to Jesus? What were their expectations? And what really can we learn from him? What could be considered the common ingredient to each of these examples? Why is it that God was bringing this to mind after I asked him for, you know, the answer? I said, what's the answer? Why, why is it that this was coming to my mind? And I began to think of one phrase that stuck out to me recently when I was reading some verses with my family. And, you know, well, we'll actually talk a little bit about this. Maybe you can just go and read these verses for yourself. But it's in 1 Corinthians 13. But I just want to hear you, I want you to hear this phrase and just let it sink in. This is, this is the phrase that I heard. Love suffers long and is kind. I just love that phrase. Love suffers long and is kind. Now, those words just kept ringing in my heart as I pictured Jesus, you know, walking among the crowds, healing people, reaching out and touching people, loving people. There's something so powerful about the, the soft approach. You just... The devil knows how to fight against, you know, I guess, fear, (laughs) and and he uses that, but he doesn't know how to fight against love. He doesn't know what to do when you just go and love people. It's why the message and the purposes of God cannot be stopped. We, We tend to fight fear with fear ourselves. Even when we're resisting evil, we get this attitude that we need to, you know, stand strong against it and push it back with force you know, yell and scream. But I'm not saying that we just roll over and let the devil do what he wants to do. But neither am I saying that the negative things happening are in any way ordained by God. What I am saying, though, is that our method of standing against evil 
should look much different than any other type of resistance, maybe than we've ever seen. We tend to quote the verse in James 4, 7, where it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. But we somehow miss the first part of that verse. Actually, in verse 6 and 7, it says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now, remember the word grace in, in verse 6 there is another way of saying power or anointing. So, God resists the proud, but gives power to the humble. See, it doesn't fit in our, our you know, f- fighting, fighting with fighting. It's like it doesn't fit because it's God's way of doing it. So, you know, look what happened when the multitude gathered around Jesus for healing. He didn't scream at the sicknesses or yell at the devil. He just simply allowed his heart to be filled with compassion, and the grace of God did the healing. He resisted the devil by submitting to God. It was through his submission that the devil was resisted. In uh, Luke 6, verses 17 through 19, I just want to read those really quickly here. Just look at what happened. It says, And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a crowd of his disciples. And a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and be healed of their diseases, as well as those who were tormented with unclean spirits, and they were healed. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for power went out from him and healed them all. Did you, do you recognize he, he wasn't able to go out and touch every single one of of them like he it just says power went out from him they they were trying to touch him but it says they were all healed his compassion he was filled with compassion notice the the activation there the activation of his faith was love it was compassion that's what did it so the thing that i've observed is that most people will kind of dismiss love as being soft or passive but i can assure you that the true love of god is the most powerful force in the universe. We just simply have not learned how to use it properly. You can have the most powerful tool, the most powerful weapon, but if you don't know how to activate it or use it, it sits there dormant. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't do any good. Now, it's not that love doesn't work. The problem is that we've been using a human understanding of love, and that turn, tends to turn our focus inward instead of outward. See, human love is how does it affect me, God's love is, how can I affect you? So it is of utmost importance that we learn how to live and walk as Jesus did if we are going to give hope to those around us. So I'd I'd like to read a couple more verses here just describing how we are to see ourselves. And I want you to think about this because this is how Jesus saw himself as well. So in Colossians 3, uh, verses 12 through 15, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Recognize the fact that Jesus saw himself this way. It's why he was so effective, because he had this deep understanding of revelation. 
So have you noticed the similar instructions that we can see in multiple verses all over the Bible? So how do we keep missing it when it's, it's written there so clearly? I think it's because we tend to overlook anything that doesn't have an immediate physical and kind of visible power associated with it. We want to see the, the we want to see the power <laughs> and love seems like such a soft approach. But the power of love is, is a force that is so deep that nothing can stand against it. The only thing that can kind of, I guess, the only thing that can stand against love is in our own hearts. It's selfishness and pride. It's, it's unbelief. So we can stop it. But it's only by uh, our, our choice, how we choose to receive it, whether we believe or we have unbelief. But that's the only thing that can stop it. Once you accept it and allow the love of God to, to move through you, nothing can stop it. It's the most powerful force in the universe. But the self-focus is anything that would preserve or protect us, really to the detriment of others. And that, that's really where uh, you know, Jesus said, if, if we're willing to lay down our lives, and he was describing what true love looks like. So when we choose ourselves or our possessions, over helping someone in need, then the true object of our love has been revealed. Now, I want to remind you that every action you take should be decided through intimate times alone with God. Don't try to do it on your own. Ask Him. Let Him reveal it to you. Let Him reveal another person to you, someone who is needing the love of God. Let Him show you how to love. If you simply reach out to help someone, but have not received the love of the Father, then the love and help you give will be only human. Now, I'm going to read a few more verses here that describe the balance of receiving and giving the love of the Father and how it should look in our daily lives. So in 1 John 3, uh, starting in verse 10, verses 10 through 18, just look at this. In this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice, the right, uh, practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. But this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. He's saying it's not just coming out of your mouth. It has to, it has to manifest physically as well. There's two sides of it. And he's saying, let this happen. Let it come out. Let him show you how to do it. So do you see here how Jesus is our example? Laying down your life does not just mean, you know, being willing to die physically. It, it could be just as easily using your possessions to help others. Verse 14 says that we either abide in death or we have passed from death to life. So the deciding factor of all of this is, do you love, you know, if, do you love others? If you love your neighbor, then you have eternal life living in you. This is the true power that heals the sick and raises the dead. 
Love and eternal life are one and the same force. Eternal life is knowing the Father, and God is love. Do you see here? There's no separation. Once you know him and you, and you follow his example, he will love others through you. He'll show you how. Do you realize that the only reason that Jesus even died on the cross was to give us the ability to be exactly as he was, with our spirits made alive in him when we were born again, and then our heart connection to be able to hear God the Father is then reestablished through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. See, there's two actions, two steps. One is being born again and being, and being uh, identifying with Jesus, identifying with the new life of Jesus. And then we want to hear the voice of God. We want to be able to be connected actively. So when you have the Spirit of God actively giving directions, you will have wisdom to love just as he does. The two things that most of the church is missing today is Holy Spirit direction and then the courage to do what he says when we're led by him. Most of the physical assistance given to people around the world is nothing more than humanitarian aid. So did you notice the word humanitarian? It, the, the root word there is human. Any person as a Christ follower or really or not can offer and give humanitarian aid. There's no life transforming power behind that. Now, I'm not saying that it does no good at all, but the help is short-lived and it's limited to the physical only. See, that's not, Jesus gave humanitarian aid because he healed them of everything they needed. So uh, everything, every physical issue in their body, he healed them. So they had humanitarian aid, but it wasn't limited to that. It was based with eternal life as the force, the love, life force of God. In verse 15 that we read in in 1 John 3, it talks about eternal life abiding in us. True eternal life is not the classic, like, living forever understanding that most churches would present, although you will live forever if you have eternal life in you. But eternal life is not just so that you can live forever. It's really the very life force of God himself present in our physical bodies now, today. It's our awareness and belief in this life force being present and active in our own physical bodies that gives us the confidence to walk into situations which could otherwise be threatening, dangerous, and, and you know, could be a cause for great fear. But what happens when we apply perfect love to a fearful situation? In 1 John uh, 4, I want you to look at this um, verse 16 how this is described. I think I'm just going to read a few verses here. Um, Verse 16, 17, 18, and 19. It says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. I just quoted these verses uh, in previous message. And if you notice, he says uh, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Judgment is not just the final judgment of God. It's any time something is put to the test. So is a judgment being made? Do you have boldness to do what Jesus would do? 
What gives you that boldness? So did you notice in verse 17 that it's written in the present tense? It says, as Jesus is, so are we. So it's as he is currently. He is our resurrected Lord. He's fully perfected and filled with all the power of God. So as he is right now, so are we in this world. This means that there's no difference from the fullness of the power of God filling the very body of Jesus, which raised him from the dead, and the power of God coursing through your veins and my veins, filling every cell in your body and in my body, if you have his life force in you. See, it's the same life force. Remember, in verse 16, it says, He who abides in love abides in God and God in him. See, there's a, a full connection. The only reason that we remain fearful is that we truly believe that death and or sickness has more power over us than the eternal life force of God himself present in our own physical bodies. We will act according to our belief. True love is only evidenced when the actions that we take are not determined by how the final outcome of them will affect us personally or physically. So how would you love your brother or how would you love your neighbor as yourself if you truly could not be affected negatively in a physical, financial, or emotional way. Do you think that this is very possibly the way that Jesus lived and walked as a man on the earth? Was he afraid of how it would affect him? Obviously, I'm asking a rhetorical question, but how many of of you have a true desire to live and walk as Jesus walked? If you're watching this, you probably have a desire for that. Do you really believe that what the Bible says is true? Are you willing to commit your spirit, your soul, and your body into the very life of Jesus? Do you trust the eternal life force of God himself to be more powerful than anything that could threaten you? I want to challenge you. Take time to read the description of love in 1 Corinthians 13. And then I want to close with some of my favorite verses. In Ephesians 3, Uh, verses 17 through 19. He says that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height, to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I want you to meditate on these verses the rest of this week. Get connected with him. Let the love of God fill your heart. Let the eternal life force of God himself fill you and then follow his direction, have boldness, and show the love of God. Thank you so much for joining me again today. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you.